This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, I'm Martin Stark and welcome to the Five Rivers Sports Bar in Southampton for a special live episode of the Total Saints podcast. <laughs> Joining me tonight are our regular contributors to the podcast. Glenda LaCour is the writer of the weekly Saints blog League One Minus Ten. Round of applause for Glenn. Thank you very much. I was being all nostalgic today and listened back to the 100th episode, which uh, the guys did from just that very corner over there. And, and you were the new boy at the time, weren't you? So. I was. As far as I remember, I, um, I'd done about three podcasts before that. Then we lost 9-0. <laughs> and then I, um, then I got sort of chucked in front of an audience here. So it was a bit of a baptism by fire. But the thing I, main thing I remember about it was I made a joke at Adam Leach's expense and he came back with a better one, which was really annoying because he... Com- he compared his departure to Virgil van Dijk leaving and me arriving, being like Wesley Hoyt arriving. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't very good. I did thump him afterwards. What a bet. What a bet. Uh, also with us is Steve Grant, who's the owner of Saints Web. You were also here last time we did the live one, weren't you? Fond, fond memories of that? Yeah, it was Yeah, it was a long night, that. Um, <laughs> the, the auction that seemed to go on forever. Um, but I, I think I ended up with Michael Obafemi's shirt from the Fulham game, and it was just... Like, I don't remember anything. <laughs> How's this? How have, I, how have I woken up at home and this is in my cupboard? But the charity was the winner. Yes, it was. The charity was. was the winner. Uh, also joining us uh, at the end of the table is Dan Sheldon, who I think for the next four days is the Athletics dedicated Southampton reporter. Officially four days, <laughs> but probably for another couple of weeks yet. <laughs> and this is going to be your last appearance on the pod. So we thought we'd put on a special night just for you, just to say. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, just to say thank you so we'll have more on that later on Uh, this is our last pod of the season so a massive thank you to all our dedicated patrons for your support literally we couldn't have done any of it this season without you Uh, and as always we're going to be freezing your membership through the summer and we look forward to welcoming you back next season so the reason we're here live tonight well this is episode 200 of the total saints podcast 
This is the Total Saints Podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenn DeLacour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Let's start with the big news story of the week. Uh, One win in the final 12 Premier League matches. Something had to change. Uh, The statement from the club this week said, the club has made the decision to part with Calvin Davis, Dave Watson and Craig Fleming. Confirmation of new additions to the staff will be announced in due course. We were anticipating something, Glenn, but maybe not all three going. Uh, They seem to be very determined to get it done as soon as possible. What what I think it does is it, it, it sends a message that Ralph isn't going anywhere. Those three coaches were all with the club when Ralph arrived, which on the face of it, it's slightly odd for, you know, I know he brought in Danny Roll when he originally when he originally came to the club, but those three coaches have survived. And I, I find it interesting that, um, is it Richard Kitchbickler, who I can never pronounce, he's staying and the three that he didn't bring in are going. So I think that, that tells you that uh, the Ralph out brigade are going to be, um, are going to be disappointed um, <laughs> for the short term at least. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it a week or so ago about what the contribution of the coaches actually were. I mean, you know, with a lot of coaches at a lot of clubs, you can't actually see what they do. But I think what what always sort of jarred a little bit with us is that you could see sort of strange things going on on the pitch and Ralph stood in the technical area on his own completely with no one sort of going near him or offering a word or, or anything. So uh, I'm not at all surprised that um, that's the route they've decided to go down, to be quite honest. Can I just show of hands, like Ralph in, Ralph out, or maybe give him a bit more time? Let's give you the, the, the three options. Let's go. Those in favour of, of, of sticking with Ralph, let's just deal with the elephant in the room before we move on. So, um, okay, that's um, for the benefit of those listening on the podcast. That's quite a few. Those that are not sure, maybe like till Christmas, till the... Till the that's fine. I know I'm the say. <laughs> maybe four or five. I mean, it's, it's slightly more nuanced. It's not, you know, we're not Twitter here, are we? We're, we it's, it, you can have your opinion and no one's going to yeah, argue with I've you. I've changed my mind a little bit. I kind of feel that... It's you okay know, to sit on the fence. Yeah, if, if he left, I, I wouldn't be crying in my beer, put it that way, whereas I would have been three months ago. Steve, just a word on the, the changes. Calvin Davis has obviously been with the club for well, 16 years as player, captain and coach. It's never nice when anybody loses their jobs, but we, we could kind of see these, these changes coming. Yeah, definitely. Um, something had to change and... I think given, I mean, particularly from a financial perspective, the the contract that Ralph's got is presumably worth significantly more than, than those three coaches underneath him. So let's try and stick with the one that we've made a significant financial contribution to because, I mean, let's be honest, we've seen, we've seen what he can do from a positive side of things. The run that we had, what, Christmas to, what, end of February, um, you looked at that team and you thought, wow, this is actually a team that's that knows exactly what it's doing. It's it's supremely well-drilled and it was able to beat the best and the worst teams in the league. And then all of a sudden something changed and it's, yeah, just just baffling. And hopefully these, these changes get some different coaches with some different points of view. Maybe the coaches that come in are kind of from a more sort of experienced background. As a result, they may feel that they've got kind of more, their voice has more weight I don't think that Kelvin Davis going up to Ralph and sort of offering tactical ideas, I can't imagine that would have been would have been particularly received very well, uh, personally. Um I mean it may well be that Kelvin's a tactical genius and we've and we've and we've not seen it, but um ultimately Ralph doesn't seem to be receptive to what 
particularly those three coaches have had to say. So maybe new guys coming coming in, fresh pair of eyes, maybe some slightly different ideas, and possibly also stop Ralph doing the the stupid things that we that we see him slump back into doing every now and then. Time and time again as well, really, wasn't it? Dan, do you think this was um, just an early statement of intent by the new owners? Because they obviously needed to, to, to make some decisions and they're, they're pretty quick out the blocks with this one. Yeah, it was very quick. Um, I can't say it was a surprise. It was somewhat expected. Just following, following on from what Steve said, I think with Ralph, you've got such a dominant figure that it will be a challenge for anyone that comes in uh, in terms of getting him to listen to them. I think that is often overlooked that, you know, you won't see them join him on the sideline. But then does Ralph want them to join him on the sideline? Does he want to listen to them? If he's not going to listen, why offer an opinion? So I think it'll be really interesting now how he changes and how he adapts. And I know Steve just said getting a, a really strong number two. But again, if you're not going to be receptive to what they're saying, it's almost a waste of time. So that's a conversation I'm sure Southampton will have with Ralph. It's look, we can all probably see that something was going to change this summer. They're obviously going down the route of keeping him and changing the players and the coaching staff. I think that's a more difficult route. Personally, I think they get credit for that because it would have been easier to sack Ralph and keep three guys in a post. I'm not sure the finances would have been too much of an issue in that regard. So yeah, but it, it is all just about going forward, how Sport Republic, how Martin Simmons, how Toby Steele, how Matt Crocker now replace those three coaches. Do you go like for like and get three more bodies in? Or do you, as Steve says, get a a good solid number two in, but then sit Ralph down and say, look, you're going to have to listen to this guy because you're running out of road. And if you're not going to, the next person to go will be you. So that's a conversation they're going to have to have. And what sort of people do we want to see coming in? Because obviously, and I'll come to you, Glenn, we're used to all the, the, the rumours about um, players at this time of year and hitting F5 to see which players we've been linked to. But coaches as well. I saw Stuart Pearce this week and... Uh, it's, it's going to be crazy season for coaches that are out of work too, as well as players that are free agents. I think you have to, echoing what Dan said, I think you have to bring in someone that Ralph's going to respect and actually listen to, or alternatively, someone like Mike Tyson. Um, or Tyson Fury, someone like that, who's, um, who's not going to take any rubbish from him. I, I don't know, it's, 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 a really, it's a really difficult one. I mean, I'm not an expert on German slash Austrian coaches, which... It wouldn't surprise me would be the the route that we went down. So I don't, you know, I don't know who Ralph knows from his Leipzig days. Who, uh, but I'm I'm guessing he's going. I think to Ralph Rangnick's available now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's going to have a, a big say in, in who comes in. I I can't see them basically making the same going down the same route again of appointing you know three random guys and saying this is what you have to deal with. I don't think they would have. You know, because that's just basically giving you the same situation that you got now. So it wouldn't surprise me if if Ralph has a very heavy hand in in picking who comes in, but someone obviously will. But I've got no, no absolutely no idea which route he's going to go down with that. Who's the hot money on, Steve? No idea. Um, yeah, I mean, they're not queuing up, are they? No, but then coaching appointments do quite often seem to come out of left field, don't they? The, there's no. I mean, there's no bookmaker market on on who's going to be somebody's assistant manager for very good reason because it's it's kind of a role that, as a general rule, nobody really give nobody really cares about, do they? It's it's the guy who's at the front. So, I'd I'd expect the club know roughly who they want, but it's a case of are they available or are we willing to pay to get those people? Who knows? I mean, we've. I, I can't remember the last time we poached a coach that wasn't that wasn't a, a manager. So I'm not sure we've got any form for that before. So it'd be interesting to see whether we do go down that route, whether I don't know whether we look at 
somebody in the Bundesliga who's maybe coaching a, I mean, maybe even coaching a second team for one of the big boys and and look at look at bringing them in um, as as number two, maybe even with a view to kind of looking at succession planning for for the big job, because um, given Ralph suppose supposedly is going to retire at the end of his contract in 2024 the club will will definitely have one eye on that as well so maybe that's that's kind of a two birds with one stone route that they could they could look at I mean beyond that no and us will probably give it to Shane Long and Theo Walcott (laughs) (laughs) we're in this situation because of the I think the dire end to the season we can probably all agree on on that you start off the season you're hoping to finish top 10 and then you finish with just that one win in the the final 12 games so I want to drag us back through the season and try and pull out some of the highlights um, some of our favourite goals some performances that we've enjoyed some performances that we haven't and maybe try and look at a few of the positives to to take forward to next season so I want to start with with highlights and best moments of the season these are going to be few and far between, I'm sure. But I know you've been thinking about this. So do you want to, have you got anything, uh, one of your highlights of the season, Glenn? Um, I, th- I think I'll let, I'll let someone else do Spurs away, which was the best the best game. Have we all got um, Spurs away? Is it a big yeah. game? Spurs away. <laughs> um, I actually liked West Ham away a great deal, winning 3-2 there, because that, that showed we had, at the time, that showed that we had a bit about us because we got pegged back twice in that game. Still managed to win. It's it's always nice to um, to beat West Ham with all their um, new money and the dodgy way they got their ground and all that sort of stuff. So awful place to play. I thoroughly teams. enjoyed that one. And from an individual point of view, Fraser Forster against Arsenal that was that was the best single individual performance of the season. So they they were the they were the two that sort of stand out for me. Um, so one one win during our very good run and um, yeah, Fraser in that game against Arsenal, which was I know. We stayed up by more than three points in the end, but that was the we'd have been in terrible trouble without that win, and that was that was down to him, we and he's been. leaving. <laughs> but he caught the eye of the uh, of the the England squad and also uh, the Spurs scouts by the looks of it. Um, Steve, highlights, best moments of the year for you could be game, could be player. Yeah, I mean games. West Ham, as you say, was was excellent. Spurs, outstanding. I mean, how that game was as close as three two. Still not quite sure. Because I mean, we absolutely annihilated them that night, and it could easily have been six, six, seven, eight. Pick your score. We could, we could have scored it. And yeah, that was that was kind of the moment, wasn't it, where everyone thought, "Oh wow, this this lot, there's 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 genuinely something there." And uh, yeah, look how that turned out. <laughs> it's the hope that kills you. Yeah, isn't it? I guess kind of other other enjoyments. Newport away, as kind of sort of downtreading as it was. Was it eight, remind eight, me? It was, yeah. yeah. Eight, yeah. Um, I mean, that was quite disappointing. I was kind of thinking, come on, lads, get nine, at least just to just to say that we can do it as well. But yeah, I mean, that was, that was, that was good to see that we had that ruthless streak in us because so often you get these games against lower league sides. I mean, Newport made loads of changes for that game as well as we did. And it would be very easy for us to go through the motions and win, win comfortably two or three nil. And everyone says, "Well, that was that was a waste of everybody's time." But actually, no, that was that was a I mean, particularly second half. That was an excellent performance from basically everybody. You had El Yunusi kind of reminding us that he could play football because we'd not seen it for two years previous when we'd sent him out on loan. That was Broja's first start. Put himself about, showed that he could bully defenders, which we'd not seen from. I mean, even Danny Ings never did that. He'd he was he was that sort of nippy little player who would who would sort of take the ball off the off the defender's toes. We haven't had a striker who, who bullies defenders since Graziano Pella. And you thought, oh, okay, well that's that's something to work with. Given that obviously we'd heard about the attitude issues, which is why he hadn't been picked previously. 
So yeah, there, there was a lot to like about that game. Were you there? Am I right in thinking you went to that one? Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that leaves Spurs away, doesn't it, Dan? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be boring, yeah, Spurs away. I, I think just being in the stadium, normally from a work point of view, I, I never really get too carried away. But it was just such an amazing kind of moment that the emotion of it was, I mean, I stopped, my hotel was near King's Cross and I ended up like stopping at a pub on the way just to have a beer because you just think what like just to take just it all to, in yeah just to take it all in and it was probably one of my favorite pieces to write and I always try never to get carried away but sometimes you just can't help but get carried away with what you see and those were the that was the week that the comments from Ralph had come out in Germany that you know he was looking to retire in 2024 and when just watching him for kind of 90 minutes you just think there's no way this bloke can retire I mean look he kicks every single ball and yeah, I mean, if, if I could bottle up one moment from the season, it would probably be that that moment and take it to Manchester. <laughs> I, th- I think I'd bottle up Antonio Conte's uh, finger-wagging. Yeah, yeah, that, was, that, yeah, that, was that ended good. well, didn't it? That was very good. And the reaction when the goal was disallowed in the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, very good. Let's do the, the worst moments, worst performances. Now, bear in mind, we've only got an hour. Uh, so, <laughs> so pick... pick. I've, I've, got worst tra- I've got a train carefully. to catch at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so many to choose from. Where do you want to go with... Uh, what was what's the, the real sickly one this year? Chelsea at home. Absolute yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Absolutely wrong. I was always going to do it. <laughs> Chelsea, Chelsea at home was terrible from every point of view you could possibly imagine. Team selection was strange. Timo Werner hit the post twice in the first minute from a yard and Ralph still didn't do anything. And he eventually did something to match up Chelsea's formation 10 minutes later when we were 2-0 down. Game was gone then, 4-0 down by half-time, 6-0 by the end. I've, I, I kind of pride myself on never walking out early. I think I've only done it once in 45 years or whatever. That was the game where I sat there from the 50th, about the 50th minute onwards thinking, what is the point? What is the point of, of sitting in here and, and watching this? That, and, and that game, along with the Villa away game, which I didn't go to, those were the two games that killed off the season completely because that was when Ralph went into his shell and we started playing this nine defenders, 50 yards, and then one striker formation, which we've played for the last sort of nine or 10 games. So that that game was the was the absolute turning point where it really all went badly wrong. Was that the night the blog went up the night before? Because I know you're angry if the blog goes up the night before. He, d- he can't wait until the Sunday. So <laughs> got... It might have been there's been a few of them, to be honest. Um, well, I just wanted to get it out of the system as soon as possible. But uh, yeah, I think that one was possibly the quickest. Steve, worst performance, worst moment? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean you've got to, got, to go with, um, got to go with Chelsea. But I think Villa, um, I mean, that could have been any number. Just, I don't know what it is that terrifies us when Philip Coutinho pulls, um, stands on the same pitch as us. And he just tears us to pieces every single time. And it's so annoying. And yeah, it was just, that that was the point as well, wasn't it? Where the week before we'd beaten Norwich, I think, on the Friday night. And that put us back into the top half. And it was like, oh, okay, well, we're, we're in the middle of a nice little run of games here. Healthy um, in days. Yeah, that, that, that went well. And yeah, the, that, that performance at Villa was, was the catalyst for... Um, what we've kind of seen the last two and a half months or so. Um, yeah, very disappointing because Villa, Villa are no great shakes. And we we batted them at home in, earlier in the season. I mean, that should have been more than 1-0. That should have been 3 or 4. And yeah, just, I mean, to get... You can get humped by the by the big teams. It happens. Even better teams than us get 
get absolutely hammered by the likes of City, Liverpool, even United occasionally. But to get humped by someone who, what, they finished five points above us in the end? They were, they were no, they were bang average, and yet we let them walk through us time and time again. Um, and that was just soul-destroying. Um, but I'm glad I missed it, because I, I was on a plane. <laughs> God for that. And Dan, you've obviously been up and down the country um, following some of those uh, away games as well. What was the one that, um, that, that sticks in your neck as the worst one? Not the Villa one, because I think at the time, most of us were probably saying it just feels like a hiccup, like a bump in the road when you put that into the... Con- now looking back, you can see that you know, just how terrible it was and that it was a catalyst. But for me, I think it was Brentford away. I thought that was really bad. And that moment sticks out because it was the first time I'd ever heard the crowd turn on Ralph in the way that they did. And I mean, Brentford could have been 4 up at half time. So yeah, the Brentford game sticks out because it was, Ralph had been saying for like three or four weeks, you know, they're going to give it everything. They're going to give it everything. And you think, well, I mean, they pumped this team 4-1 in January. So if there's ever a chance they might actually turn it around now. And then they just didn't turn up again, just didn't turn up. And lazy, sloppy, Weird substitutions as per usual, which is what we all saw in the second half of the season beyond March. Um, so yeah, Brentford for me. Brentford. I mean, Chelsea was obviously bad, but you can lose 6-0 to Chelsea. Yeah, which I think we said at the time, wasn't it? You know, these these things happen, but actually there were results where we were expecting to, to at least get them to turn up. And yeah, yeah, but I think rather than a moment, I think it was just a realisation that they've completely lost their way. Everyone has just lost their way. There's no identity what you'd associate with the Ralph team just wasn't happening anymore. Glenn already said about pumping long balls forward. It was just a realisation that they are miles away from where they were three months ago was probably, for me, the, the worst moment. But to pick a game, it would be Brentford. Let's talk about favourite goals because we've scored a few, not all free kicks. Although, as we spoke about last week, when your midfielder is your top scorer, you know you've got a bit of a problem. So we'll talk about that later. Favourite goals of the season. Which one stands out for you, Glenn? I've gone for one I don't think will be remembered by many people, possibly. Um, Shay Adams' goal away at Watford, where oh yes, they're just like from the just, eighteen yards, just the yeah, he got the ball on the edge of the box. It wasn't the best of touches. It was sort of under his feet, and he just somehow wrapped his right foot around it and curled it into the top corner. And Ben Foster couldn't get his Zimmer frame off the ground quick enough to um, to get to it. Yeah. His GoPro tracked it though, absolutely. Um, so yeah, right, right into the top corner I, because that that goal really did come out of nowhere. It was one of those ones where you don't think there's a chance um you know when you when a player scores from long range you see you see them and we've had a few of those this year we you, you know you see them wind up and you know the shot's coming yeah. in likewise with a free kick and stuff like that but um only goal of the game as well right yeah it was so, the only goal, yeah. goal of the game and um yeah it was, a, it was very i think it was our first away win of the season as well so it was uh mind you we can't have had many <laughs> didn't, didn't have many <laughs> so yeah that that for me was a great goal because it was um it was just a bit of, you know, a, a total surprise at the time. Uh, I was at that game as well, so it was a, it was a really nice one to see. Um, yeah, just a brilliant finish, and that was um, that was a bit of a full storm for Shea Adams because I, I, I really thought this would be the year that he'd kick on and get sort of 15, 16 goals, but he's he's done what he always does and gone off the boil a little bit and ended up with I don't know seven or eight. So uh, yeah, so hopefully. Hopefully next season's the one for show. We'll <laughs> did we see. say that last year? Yeah, we did, did we? Yeah. Uh, Steve, favourite goal? Um, ooh, it's been a, been a few long distance ones this year, hasn't there? We've we've it's been a while since I think we've had had a collection like this. I think my probably my personal favourite was probably Romain Perro's one against West Ham. Um, yeah. Just because I think when everyone saw the lineup before that game. And you'd seen that West Ham had more or less picked their first team and we'd made, what, six or seven changes? 
Um, Jan Valery starting at centre-back. Long starting up front, I think. And yeah, just looking at that team thinking, why are we throwing this game? And then all of a sudden, having, having weathered a very iffy first 15 minutes, all of a sudden we kind of just found our feet. And the ball just pops out to him. And his first touch is kind of the key to it because it just open, opens up perfectly. And sticking his foot through the way he did and pinging it right in the top corner, all of a sudden the belief just rushed back into the side. And we were excellent for the re- for pretty much the rest of that game. I think West Ham had a ten ten minute spell in the second half where they equalised, and you thought, Ooh, okay, might be in a bo- might be in the spot of bother here. But then they they obviously gave us that penalty back, and and from then we were we were we were comfortable against their against their first team. Am I right in thinking that Brozier's goal in that game was nominated for goal of the round um, at the time? But it wasn't even the his, best goal his, in the game. His and Perro's were right. Okay, fine. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dan, favorite goal for you? Favorite goal was Prowse away to Wolves, um, the free kick, just because it it was just so good. Um, the movement on the ball, but I think there were several. Um, Walker Peters v City sticks out. Romeo, I can't remember who he scored against, but it was his annual kind of Norwich. Norwich, from Norwich. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was really good. Oh, can I add in El Yunusi away at Spurs? With the twenty pass build up, you may <laughs> Armstrong v Coventry. Yeah, was another good strike. There, I mean, there generally were so many, but for me, it was the, the Prousey one. Prousey's one about against Wolves was weird because he, he that's the only one he didn't do the golf swing celebration. After. He was, wasn't he? he was, I mean, he hit the ball like he was very annoyed. He was very annoyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He showed true leadership One qualities each. in that moment. <laughs> yeah. uh, any goals that we've missed, by the way? I think so we've got James Ward-Prowse, Stu Armstrong we mentioned, um, Perot. Well, Bednarek was having his own goal of the season at the other end, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> That's next on the list. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Armstrong v Villa was good as well. Adam Armstrong. Yeah, Adam Armstrong v Villa was good. Instinctive finish from outside the box. Do you know what? We've scored some more right goals, haven't we? That's, that's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. not enough. Just not enough of them. No. Well, the <laughs> problem is we haven't scored the rubbish ones. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Always a problem. Um, I want to just, last thing on this season, I just want to say one positive that we can take into next before we get on to the work that needs to be done in the summer. What's the one positive <laughs> that... Do you want to think about it? Steve, what's the one positive? And that, that could be a, you know, a player or a performance. We, or, did, we didn't and we were nowhere near getting relegated. Um, that's the po- that's the positive um, for anybody who I mean there there are a lot just kept seeing on on both social media and on the forums and stuff people saying oh we're in a relegation battle we were, we were we were safe in February there was I mean even I think mathematically even if we'd lost all of those twelve last twelve games I still don't think we'd have gone down so yeah it, we we can't we got away with that horrible run and hopefully kind of the announcement the other day is one step. In the right, in the direction of realizing that, yeah, we can't do that again because maybe next time we don't get away with it. But yeah, that's that's the positive. They've 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 looked at what what they think is one of the issues and they've addressed it. I thought one now. Go on, Fraser Forster returning to form, <laughs> returning to Spurs. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, the, I mean, I might be I might be nicking the one Dan's about to say here, but um, basically getting new owners is is the biggest positive of the season because regardless, I mean, we can't really, you can never tell how good an ownership is for your football club until two or three years down the line or whatever. But on the face of it, not having Mr. Gow and the restrictions that he was under can only be a good thing. Um, and it's funny, you talk about the hundredth episode we did here. I remember Adam Leach being asked a very similar question to this and, you know, what are the positives of, 
Mr. Mr. Gower, and all he, all he could come up with is we haven't gone bankrupt. That that was it basically. So, you know, we will have a, we do have a much better chance now of moving forward and things things improving. It's going to be difficult because the Premier League gets richer and richer, and the, the, the every other club gets stronger and stronger. So it's but you know if you stand still, you you drown basically, don't you? And you end up getting relegated, which the way the way things were going. I, th- I think was probably inev- an inevitability in the next sort of two or three years. So hopefully we can um, we can start to move forward again. And Dan, what's the the one crumb of comfort you can leave us with? What what have we got to be excited that, about for next year? The new ownership the was going to be mine, yeah. but uh, that's fine. I'll well, that's fine because you, um, you spoke to Martin quite soon afterwards, Martin Simmons, and, yeah. and you'd worked quite hard on the or you'd done a lot of information gathering yeah, about a, the new a owners. Long two years, yeah. But one positive would be. Prowse signing that contract without a release clause, <laughs> I think, <laughs> would be a good thing to take forward into next season. Um, but the obvious one is Sport Republic, if it works out. Got another one. The the younger teams, the under-18s and stuff, are now starting to um, show signs of improvement. And we have to mention the women's team as well. That's a, ver- a big positive for the um, for the club as a whole. So that's um, that's two, two areas that are definitely improving. Let's move on to the, the summer business and what needs to be done. What's the first, obviously, coaches have changed. New coaches, presumably, they're being um, sought out at the moment. Um, the appointments will be made soon. In terms of, of players, what needs to be done first for you, Steve? What would make you, what would send you on your holidays happy? Uh, knowing that we were heading in the right direction. Um, just, I don't know, the sign that we're being proactive I don't want to. I don't want us to be in the same situation that we do every single year of thinking that we've got two or three deals lined up and they don't get announced till July the first because we want to push it into the next financial year. If the club is kind of serious about this sort of PR situation of where obviously the, there's there's a lot of unrest in the fan base because of how the season's finished and ultimately the the big currency really among supporters in this day and age is transfers and signings. So if we can get two or three players in, like literally in the next six weeks before the end of this financial year, then that will show that the club is being very proactive. Um, They're not kind of trying to massage the figures so that it paints the situation in a certain light. They know what their budget is. It, It shouldn't really matter when it's spent, whether it's in June or July. Financial fair play clearly isn't of any concern because you look at evidence figures, three hundred and fifty million pound loss over the last three years. Oh, that's fine, no problem, no problem, lads. Carry on, um, and they're definitely going to spend again, aren't they? So yeah, it's signings get 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 two or three in quickly. I mean, it's not even the case of identifying key areas because every every area is now a key area, probably apart from right back. I mean, I find it baffling that we're linked with another. That like the one link I've seen in the in the press in the last twenty four hours is another right back. It's like we've got two brilliant right backs. Yes, one's <laughs> injured, but it's not. He's not dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's mad. Absolute madness. Um, literally every position apart from right back is where is where we need to strengthen. I mean, I think given given the defensive problems, centre back would be my my first port of call. Bednarek, Stevens, not good enough for me. Salasu something to work with at least um, so I think you build it around him and bring someone in probably someone with a bit of experience and we don't we don't really do that very much which is understandable because of the financial situation but I think this season is the time where given the new owners that's where you've kind of got to go to them and say look lads we need a little bit of a leg up this summer and we can possibly claw it back in in years to come but yeah get get something sorted um, in the next six weeks 
get season tickets sold off off the back of that. Ev- all of a sudden, everyone everyone forgets the last last twelve games, um, and you then start start next season afresh. And who knows? Glenn, what business needs to be done first for you this summer? Uh, I think the important ones are down the the spine of the team, basically. So centre back, as Steve said, ideally an experienced one. Um, we have to get some goals in the team. At the moment, you assume Brozier's not going to be here. You assume Shane Long is gone. Not that he contributed goals anyway. But we've only got two strikers at the moment, Adams and Adam Armstrong. And, and obviously, there needs to be one obvious first-team starting striker to to put pressure on those two. We haven't replaced the goals that Danny Ings scored, and we need to. Otherwise, we're really going to struggle. So centre-half, centre-forward. If... If I was um, in a position of any influence, I'd be straight on the phone to Burnley to try and sign Nick Pope. It's, you know, and if it costs 20 million, um, you're saving the wages from forced to leaving. You've got other people leaving as well. I don't know how old he is now, 26, 27, something like that. But he could be your goalkeeper for the next six or seven years. Um, Or he's your goalkeeper for three years and then you sell him for a lot of money when he's about 30, 31, which is no age for a goalkeeper. So I would certainly be looking at that. Because um, I'm not, I'm not sold on Alex McCarthy as a first choice goalkeeper all the way through. <laughs> Wide players. That's going to be another show of hands in a yeah, minute. Yeah. Isn't it? Wide, <laughs> Wide players. You know, yeah. we we discussed discussed this to death. We've got lots, and only one is good enough, and he's injury prone. Yeah. So, the, you know, or you know, he seems Stuart Armstrong seems to have a lot of problems with injuries. or did last season anyway. So there needs to be some more creativity in the side. So basically, what I'm doing is agreeing exactly with what Steve said, which is everywhere. <laughs> Dan, can you enlighten us a little bit more about the the sort of person player that we might sign? Because do we know? Is it a statement of intent from the owners about the the first signing? If it's going to be a a marquee signing or another Liveramento for for five million, we're still a little bit unsure as to to where they're they're pitching it. I guess. Well, Sport Republic, when they were looking at clubs, looked at what Southampton had done in the previous summer. They looked at a Liveramento, that kind of deal. That's one of the reasons they didn't buy Southampton because of Liveramento, but because of they could see what Southampton were trying to do. That fits in with what they want the club to do. There's an acceptance, I think, that that's all well and good, but you do need to add a little bit of experience as well alongside that. You know, they, they, they talk like they want to be a top 10 team. They make waves about being a top 10 team. You're not going to be a top 10 team by signing 10 Liveramentos simply from an experience point of view. So I think we'll see a continuation of that where they will get young players in. I mean, if Chelsea was in, in vogue last season, it's Man City this summer. You know, they like several of their players and understandably so. But it is crucial that they do then add, even if it's just two or three. I mean, I wouldn't stop at Nick Pope at Burnley. I really wouldn't. I, I, I know he, he probably isn't, isn't the quickest player, but someone like Ben Mee is out of contract. And I would just, I'd go and get him. He's a free agent. Corne played quite well against Saints. He's someone at release clause, 17 and a half million pounds. Um, Tarkowski's out of contract, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's probably got his sights set on loftier clubs and I think he'll probably get one. Goalkeeper. I mean, at the moment, they've got one goalkeeper. Harry Lewis has left. Caballero's out of contract. Fraser's going to Tottenham. They they need certainly another goalkeeper who either will start or will certainly be pushing Alex right from the very get-go. I think I disagree with Steve. I do think they need a fullback because they're going to go into next season with just, unless he sees Jan as a fullback again with Kyle and Perot. What happens if one of them gets injured? I would personally try and sign a fullback who can play both sides. Again, difficult sell because they know they're not coming in to be first choice and they would be fourth choice when Livermento's fit again. But yeah, I mean, there's there's work to do. Yeah, and the problem we're going to have, Steve, is that all the others are spending money already too. You know, look at the signings that Villa have made. 
Yeah, I mean, Villa are getting another one deciding that FFP's just, uh, with now we're done with this. But yeah, some of their signings seem seem impressive, but you kind of think, well, I mean, you've, you've still, you can still only register 25 players, well, senior players. So a few players presumably are going to leave there. I mean, not saying there's anybody from Villa that I would necessarily want, I don't think. When their defence is ropey. Um, sounds like Tyrone Mings is going to leave, which would be interesting given that he's club captain. But um, yeah, you you kind of look at what other other clubs are doing. They're spending silly money. We're realistically we ain't going to be doing that. We're still going to be looking for value and players who, in sort of towards the end of their contract, are still going to be worth something. Um, probably worth um, more than than we've paid for them up front. So that does bring bring an inherent level of risk. I mean, as we've seen with a lot of a lot of those transfers that we've made over the last four or five years in the sort of twelve to fifteen million pound mark, a lot of them haven't come off. Now you kind of hope that there's maybe a, a sort of balancing out of the of the probabilities on that, and maybe this time we we kind of see the positive side of things, like we did that first year of Ronald Koeman, where basically every single signing we made was brilliant and worked out superbly, um, even Cuco Martina. For that, for that goal against Arsenal. Juan me. I mean, he was, he was the second top scorer in La Liga this season. Great player. Um, so from the current, thinking of the current starting 11 or starting squad, who do you want on that pitch come August when we start? Who's the, I was going to say, two, three that you would for a push? Walker Peters, Salasu, Romeo. Romeo's got a bit of bad press because he's dropped off the last sort of 10 days, but yeah. I think overall he's had a solid season. Um but I don't. Th- I think we could do with another body in there, so he doesn't kind of have to play every game. Will Prowse, obviously, Stuart Armstrong if he's fit, Shay Adams if he's fit. Um, you know, other, other, than, other than that, but there, there's not many players who I would be upset if they left. Really, not many. I remember being at this stage when um, I think it was when Pellegrino was the manager, which was a dismal time. <laughs> um, and you know, like the, back then, the only ones I really War Prowse, I mean Hoiberg, I quite liked at the time. Um, but it's a similar sort of situation now where, you know, everyone's got their favourite players if they, for, for whatever reason. But at the, at the moment, I think we could we could survive if Jan Bednarek left or Elianusi left or Redmond left. I don't think they're really irreplaceable by any stretch of the imagination. Is it the same for you as well, Steve? Same thoughts? Um, yeah, largely. I mean, I think ultimately... You judge you judge players on their contribution over a over a period of time, and the vast majority that ended the season in the first team haven't really contributed enough. I guess. I mean, you look at you look at the numbers, and I mean Nathan Redmond has only played half the season, and he's got our most assists. Most believe, creative player, which is he? Yeah. which yeah. is mad. Given that I think most most of us when we look when we actually watch the games, we see a guy who is incredibly frustrating we know he can do it when I mean, you look at the Liverpool game that goal that goal was was incredible and you think do it more but as we know it's not it's not as easy as that and you've kind of got a you've got to harness it and ultimately that's why Redmond has stayed a stayed a Saints player despite having been touted as as someone who who could go on to um on to bigger things um did Claude say he was the next Thierry Henry or something yes he did <laughs> One part of that may also be his salary is extortionate. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, who's you know the standout players for you this season? Who's going to be in that team sheet next year the same? For the purpose of the auction, Jan Bednarek's got to start next season. 
Now, if someone buys his boots, he can't play anymore. <laughs> Largely agree with what with the players Glenn picked out. Walker Peters, Perot, I think, has done enough. While I don't think he's brilliant, I think he's relatively steady. Um, it was his first season. Prowsey Romeo, I still think there is something in Adams. It's, it's not consistent enough, but I still think maybe with the right partner, he can do it. But yeah, I mean, Key will just be getting rid of players if they can do that and they can start doing that quickly so that, you know, these players aren't coming back for preseason. They're not going on preseason tours. That will be so important. Jazz, can I uh, ask you just to join us a sec um, and talk about the Saints Foundation um, and just grab the, the microphone there. Um, obviously, we're here tonight and we're doing the podcast live for our 200th episode, which is great. And thank you very much for coming down. By coming tonight, you've actually helped to support the Saints Foundation. And uh, Jazz is the fundraising and partnerships manager. I think I've got that right. Can you just tell us a little bit about the, the Saints Foundation for those that, that don't know and, and just some of the work that, that you guys do in the community? Yeah, so um, firstly, thank you for um, obviously hosting this event for us tonight. We're really grateful for all of your support. So Saints Foundation is the official charity of Southampton Football Club. We're the club's way of giving back. And essentially, we use the, the power and the passion of the club to be able to make a difference in the local community. Um, so that's really our purpose about why we exist. And it's been a really big year too, hasn't it? Celebrations this year. Yeah, it's been our um, 20 year anniversary this year. Um, and it's been an absolute, you know, journey in terms of um, our, our growth and our, our sort of um, our existence in the local community and, and what we've been able to do by obviously using using the power of the club and um, the passion that people have for the charity to make a difference. And just tell us about some of the projects that you've got coming up because it, there's just it's such a diverse amount of things. The bike ride is one that I always think of, but you did the walk around the common this year too. Yeah, so yeah, um, as you quite rightly say, we we, we got um, you know uh, fans together to do a a ten k walk, um, starting from Southampton Common, and you know we wanted to sort of create a a sense of community around bringing families together and um, trying to get people in, involved, um, not just through doing the the mega challenges that we put on in the past, and you know obviously you mentioned um, the big bike challenge, um, we thought that we'd go big or, or we'd go home on this one, and you know we're setting off on on the second of June. Um, uh, and then I'm making our way up to Newcastle, and then uh, we're, we're, we're essentially... I get tired just thinking about <laughs> that. I mean, we're driving up to Newcastle to begin with, and, and the riders are, are flying up as well, and then they will make their way down over nine days. Because it's downhill on the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you go past um, you know, certain cities, it's definitely downhill from there. Um, but we'll be going via every 20 Premier League club, and you know, when we were planning this event, we were hoping Norwich weren't part of the Premier League. <laughs> But, you know, the Canaries took us off course and, um, yeah, we've got to make a bit of a diversion before we land into the London clubs um, and make our way back down south. And what sort of people get involved with the, the Saints Foundation? It's kind of all walks of life, isn't it, and all, all communities? Yeah, so, um, you know, we work with um, people from as young as four years of age all the way up to 104. It's obviously well known that football clubs have a, a significant part to play in local communities. But all like the you know the phrase that I always like to use is that we're not just balls, bibs, and cones. It's it's more than just working with young people. We we work with older people living in isolation. We work with people with cognitive and physical impairments. We work with vulnerable adults in the local community that you know might have gone on down the wrong path. We do a lot of work in in, in the majority of the schools across Southampton, whether it's primary or secondary school. Um, so yeah, it's really diverse um, in terms of you know the people that we help. I'm hoping it's too late to get signed up for the bike ride, but if we want to find out about doing other bits and pieces, you know, what's the best place to, to find out more and, and where do we go? 
visit the website. Um, we're really active on our uh, on our media uh, media channels as well, social media channels. So you know, um, we've got a great team behind us in terms of being able to get the raise the awareness about what we're doing around all those events. Cool. And just for the benefit of those in the room tonight, um, we're going to do a little auction afterwards. You've got four lots over there. What have we got? Yeah, we've got um, some cracking items over there. Um, I'm just trying to think. Um, obviously, Ben Rex had a big shout out today, so um, thanks for that, <laughs> Dan. Um, I mean, those boots. I mean, if you want to buy them from the store, they're about worth about 150 quid. So you might pick up a bargain tonight. Fair point. Yeah. Irrespective of whose they are, um, we've also got um, we've got a couple of footballs over there. That one was a match issued ball from the FA Cup games, and the other was for the Carabao Cup. Um, and then we've got um, our prolific striker, striker, Adam Armstrong. Now, this is great. Um, this is a shirt yeah. that's been... This is an Adam Armstrong shirt that's been signed by two players. What happened here? <laughs> it was clearly, um, per, um, you know, Roman Peru just getting a bit excited. So. <laughs> so you buy the Adam Armstrong shirt and Roman Peru signed it as well. So. I can assure you it's, one of, it's absolutely one of a kind, so... Brilliant, Jazz. Thank you so much for helping with tonight. Um, thank you for all the work you guys do in the community as well. Can we have a little round of applause for the thank same Foundation? Just a couple of uh, bits before we finish. I want to talk about the women's team as well, because obviously uh, the great result, I know we touched on this in, in the pod last week, but the news this week that they're going to be um, going full-time too. So great opportunity for them to, to press on next season. Yeah, I think we, we spoke about um, hoping that the club backed them in view of what they achieved this year and that they could sort of have a decent run at the uh, championship next year. So, you know, announcing virtually straight after the season that it was all going full-time. What what that means sort of in practical terms to some of the players, I, I don't know. I think some are professional sort of already, but some aren't. So whether whether that means some will, you know, not want to do it, maybe, I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it, how, it, how it pans out, but it's definitely a step forward. So uh, I think it uh, can, only be, uh, can only be applauded, the fact that they've gone down that route. And it's been quite, I was going to say unprofessional, but the, the organisation on behalf of the league has been interesting. We've talked to, about the, the lottery of the, the playoff and, and even if the team weren't ready to go up, it wouldn't have necessarily been us. So this seems like a huge step forward and a, an opportunity to leave all that behind. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, looking at the way the, particularly, as you say, the end of season stuff was arranged where you had like a three or four week wait between the last game of the season and this playoff, the absolute nonsense of only one team going up to that level when they're trying to they're, they're they're essentially trying to fast track the 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 sort of well-backed financially teams through the leagues and yet they then put a load of um um roadblocks in the way um so to have got over all of those is excellent news they yeah it's been obviously been a superb season three three trophies in the at the end of it and yes, yeah, as, as Glenn, Glenn said, I think there, it'll be interesting to see what kind of player turnover we have. Because I think, obviously, for a lot of the younger players, it'll be absolute dream come true stuff, being able to be a fully, fully pro um, footballer. But I suspect a lot of the old, a lot of the sort of more experienced players, they've probably already got second jobs. I don't know whether Championship football is going to pay enough to cover that, cover that gap. So you might find that some of the older players maybe look to stay at the level that they've just come from. Um, That's a good but, point because we'll you see. assume that they're going to give up their day jobs and and, and be I mean, full time. Yeah, I mean it, it depends. What I, I've got absolutely no idea what the numbers involved would be, um, what your average player would be paid at that level. But given the given the revenues that are likely involved at the at the moment in in women's football, it's difficult to imagine that those salaries are going to 
kind of persuade players who have got sort of long-term, full-time jobs um, to give it all up. Um, I mean, you might you might get get a couple of years out of them, perhaps, but we'll see. Yeah, it'd be, be a very interesting summer. And Dan, it feels like everything's pretty much on track at the club at the moment, apart from the, the men's team, really. Yeah, especially with, with the women's team, the under-18s, obviously reaching the final. Played really well in that final as well, but from the women's team point of view, it, it is a really well thought out, executed plan. We all see Marianne on, on the touchline, but you really can't not talk about the influence she has had behind the scenes. You know, she was brought in from the very start, and as much as the club are backing it financially, it she is superb. Everyone I speak to behind the scenes absolutely rave about her nothing's ever too much and she's working closely with um, a woman called Martina who is again equally just as brilliant as she is so much passion and and we've seen the result of that now you know they invested a million pound four years ago maybe three four years ago they wanted to be a, a women's super league team within five years back-to-back curtailments slowed that down but if they get promoted this year which isn't beyond the realm you know they've done it in five years so it's, it's a fantastic achievement and Credit, I think, does go to Marianne, so much credit, but also to the club, Les Reed and Martin Hunter at the time, making that decision to put the money in and backing it. Certainly been uh, a nice distraction for us to talk about. Um, as this is the last pod of the season, we've got a little business to wrap up. The um, the Fantasy Premier League, um, do you remember that, when we started that at the start of the season? And then everybody I think, kind I think of I gave that up in March. Loses, loses interest by about Christmas. I you managed to get out of this, yeah, didn't you, Dan? I, yeah, I <laughs> uh, so we had the, uh, the the fantasy league. We had the the TSP, the patron championship. Just in terms of where we all came, Alex, who is our producer, sat in the corner working hard, was uh, rock bottom, fortieth uh, position. Big lads United. He's been propping up the podcast all season. So uh, so great. Twenty third position was uh, Steve with mid table obscurity. So uh, well done. I was seventeenth. And I was quite happy with that. And just inside the top 10, Glenn Delacour. Yeah. Come on. So in terms of the panel, uh, Glenn was the winner. Although you, you're claiming victory for the last week, right? You had a good last week. I got more points than anybody in game week 38. And it, you're only as good as your last game. So he says. <laughs> so he says. Uh, the top four, if you do the Champions League places, uh, Tom, we- I don't know if anybody's here, by the way. Tom Weston uh, was in fourth with Minty Livramentos. Uh, third was Nick Higston, um, a big bag of Sutton. Second place this year was James Gray with Jim's Jets FC. And first place is the same person that won the league last year, actually. Tom McCann uh, with McCanchester City, 2,552 points. So a round of applause for Tom, who won our TSP uh, Fantasy League. We've got a prize for Tom, which will... Um, He's clearly a sad Muppet with nothing else to do. <laughs> Good evening, Tom, and thanks for your support. Yes. <laughs> I mean that in the nicest possible way, Tom. Uh, the other thing we did this year was the, uh, the Predictions League. This was your favourite as well, wasn't it? <laughs> which, when you're doing well and the same team's yeah. turning up each week, it's, you know, it's, it's quite all right. And then it just uh, it kind of tailed off. In terms of this, uh, Steve, 14 points. <laughs> in third place I mean I gave up after two weeks so I won't worry about it um, Glenn 19 points yeah I did forget and the winner was Dan with 24 points so congratulations to Dan Hi, I think Dan. we've actually got a uh, we've got a t-shirt for you to take to Manchester with you when you go just to say uh, congratulations for winning Thank you. your, your prize <laughs> at least it's not a tiss on the front I suppose <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> Um, it's reversible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And just on that note, um, it is a, a farewell to Dan. I don't know if you know um, Dan's leaving. He's, he's taking a new job. He's going to be heading off to Manchester. Is it four and a half years, nearly four years covering Southampton? Yeah, it's been a while. Um, just over. So I was doing it freelance basis in 2017. Joined the Echo in 2018. Joined the Athletic two years after that and staying within the Athletic. But yeah, going to Manchester next month, early July. And you've been with our podcast for the last two years, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. Yeah, um, probably feels longer with the run of results. <laughs> um, what are you going to miss the most about Southampton? The people, like genuinely the people. Um, I've got, a, you know, I know a lot of people behind like, behind the scenes at the club who, who I'm very fond of. Like to think I'd stay in contact with them. A couple of the players, really nice guys. Um, we'll miss seeing them. Yeah, and... In a weird way, Ralph, I've really enjoyed kind of the odd spa with him now and then, and that, that's been good. Um, mainly the people, really. I mean, I would say the football, but I'd, li- <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think with City, it might get a little bit better. <laughs> so I might not miss that football too much. Um, well, look, we really appreciate um, everything you've done on the podcast. We brought you a couple of gifts just to say thank you for your support. Uh-huh. Um, one is a little cookbook. Thank that you. you. Can take with you. <laughs> we never really got on to the, uh, the slow no. cooker stuff this year, but you'll need that. And, uh, and the other we thought you'd like is the little guide to Manchester, because oh, you're you. going to need that when you get up there I as mean, well. I, so. People won't know, but on my last press conference with Ralph, um, the, the club gifted me a signed shirt and inside the box was an energy gel. Which, which, I'm <laughs> <laughs> which I'm glad they could see the funny side now because they certainly didn't, they didn't find it funny at the time. The other highlight for me um, for this season is um, our celebrity followers, ex-footballers that have been getting in contact with you on social media um, oh. and, and, and listening to the pods. Um, yeah. Do you want to remind us of the of the tweet and the, the conversation? <laughs> Angus Gunn's dad. <laughs> Now, for those, for those of you who are old enough um, to remember, Brian Gunn was a goalkeeper mainly for Norwich in the mm, 80s and 90s. And I made a perfectly valid criticism yeah, of, of his son that he had the presence of a wet lettuce. <laughs> and Brian got the right ump. <laughs> and it's not for the first time. I think he, he, he got angry once before about some comment after his son had let in nine goals against Leicester. So, um, yeah, not for the first time. I don't think he remembered that one, but he, uh, he, he took issue. Well, it was one of my, my highlights of the season, so I felt like just to commemorate that, I wanted to, uh, <laughs> to give you a, a wet lettuce to take away with it. Thank you very much. Could have stuck a picture of Brian Gunn on it. <laughs> Can we get him to sign it? Have you replied to the yeah, WhatsApp? Yeah, maybe. Um, before we say goodbye, as always, a big shout out to some of our loyal and much-loved patrons in our Matt Letizier tier. We've got Colt Baker, Dave Ernsberger, Ed Busy, Phil Cook and Nick Higston. In the Francis Benali tier, there's Nick Reed, Matt Hall and David Melton. Uh, to find out more about becoming a, a TSP patron for next season and all the benefits that come with that, do check out the website. Um, thank you to, to Glenn and to Steve and to Dan. This has been my first season doing it and I've thoroughly enjoyed um, spending my Sunday evening sat in the spare room on the laptop chatting to you guys so thank you to these guys give them a round of applause 
Thank you very much as well to the Five Rivers Sports Bar for hosting this live episode this evening. Do stay in touch over the summer um, because I think we're going to need it. It's going to be a busy one. Uh, on the socials, it's at Total Saints Pod. You'll find us on Twitter and Facebook. You can always email us as well via the website. Have a fantastic break. I think you've all deserved it. Uh, here's to some decent signings in the summer. Thank you for listening and we'll see you back in August for episode 201. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.